0: You're listening to Talking Liberties with the ACLU of Illinois. Here's your host, Ed Yanka, Director of Communications and Public Policy. Thank you, Max, and welcome to this episode of Talking Liberties. On today's episode, we turn our attention to criminal justice reform, over-incarceration, the length of prison sentences for nonviolent crimes, strategies designed to reduce the use of drugs, and the ways in which our prison system attempts to ready those incarcerated for a return to their homes and communities. All of these issues have been part of our nation's dialogue for the past few years. Criminal justice reform policies have moved in Congress. They've moved in Springfield in our state legislature and they become part of the presidential campaign for 2020. But making changes in the criminal justice system cannot be fully appreciated unless we dig into the impact that the system's operation has on individuals. We wanna take a closer look at efforts here in Illinois to fix our state's bail system. The bail system in the United States is designed to ensure that those charged with a criminal offense show up for their hearings, trials, and other matters surrounding those charges. Adopted largely from the English court system, the modern bail system places an incredible burden on persons experiencing poverty, forcing many to spend unnecessary time in jail before going to trial. In too many instances, including a story we will share later in this episode, it creates a perverse incentive for individuals to plead guilty to crime simply in order to get out of jail. As a recent article in a Chicago publication noted, while the most important word that comes out of a judge's mouth is guilty or not guilty, the next most important sentence is how high the bond is. Joining us today is someone who has experienced the power of that moment. Lavette Mays is a single mother from Chicago who spent more than a year in Cook County Jail simply because she could not afford the high bail that was set for her. Lavette's story was recently dramatized as part of an online animated video series that was produced by the ACLU's National Smart Justice Campaign. Levette, welcome to Talking Liberties.
1: Thank you. Happy to be here. So,
0: can you talk a little bit about just how it was that you came to be detained at the Cook County Jail.
1: I was detained in March of 2015. I had an altercation with my mother-in-law, and we both were hurt in the incident. And I ended up in jail from the altercation. I never had been to jail a day in my life, not knowing how the county process worked. At the time when I was detained, I was in the local lockup for three days where I spent there waiting for them to charge me with something. Once um, I was charged, they took me to Cook County Jail, which was on 26th in California, where I was there to see a judge. Before I went to have my chance to be seen in front of the judge, I didn't know how the system worked. They take you to a room where you see someone that register you. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how the process go because I'd never been to Never jail been through it And before. never had yeah. been arrested. So when the people was asking me, you know, can you make bond if the judge set a thing? What do you do? And all that. So I explained to them, you know, that I did have some money in the bank where I could post bond if I needed to. When they asked me that, they asked me, you know, like a few questions. What do you do? Um, I told them I own my own company. I had a transportation company at the time. So I was like, you know, I work with the Lutherans at my daughter's school where I do a lot of transportation work as a single mom. So they was like, oh, okay, well, it shouldn't be no problem. And the judge assess the bill. They asked me about how much money could I come up with if I was going to set a bond. I was like, okay, I can come up with at least $15,000 at that time. You know, that was like what I had in the bank. Mm -hmm. So when I went in front of the judge, it was so brief. And when they said um, my bond was assessed at $250,000.
0: Wait, I want to stop there. Your bond in this arrest was set at a at a quarter of a million dollars. Yes. What was that like at that moment for you?
1: Hmm. I really didn't understand because it was really like it wasn't really a whole minute. It wasn't even 60 seconds. Yeah. Um I just, you know, knew it was like two hundred and fifty thousand and they said uh, with electronic monitoring, so I figured that it was an bond. I-, I honestly didn't know what it really was. And
0: didn't really understand what really was And really didn't
1: understand it until my attorney that my family had hired came back. When the judge said that, I was like, "Wow, that's a lot. Maybe they're talking about half of twenty-five thousand. I mean, he, two thousand mm-hmm. and five hundred to walk or something." But I didn't know it was twenty-five thousand dollars to walk, and I was like, "No, you have to go back out there. That's not right." 250,000 how am I going to come up with 25,000? So when I was talking my attorney was like, "Did you tell them you could come up with a bond?" I said, "Yes because they asked me." But me not knowing during the process that they assess your bond over of what you said you could come up with I didn't know. You didn't know that. I didn't know that. So,
0: what happened to your—you have two children.
1: I have two children. So, what happened to your children
0: during the time you were detained?
1: At the time when I was detained, my children were staying with my sister. After that, they started staying with their father. Mm -hmm. And that 14 months, like, ripped my children, like, shredded them. Because they wasn't ever used to me not being at home, not being around. And they didn't understand it. I had to explain this to a four-year-old at the time. He was four or five. My daughter at that time was 13. She was in eighth grade, and he was in kindergarten. So him not knowing exactly how to explain this to some kids that your mother is not you know, going to be at home, and I couldn't make that bond, it was, like, devastating. Yeah. The 14 months that I spent being incarcerated, I only got to see them once. In 14 months? In 14 months. No Christmas,
0: no birthdays. No Christmas,
1: no birthdays, no holidays, none of that. I wasn't able to see them. The last thing I got was um, my kids was going to be taken away from me. Right. I panicked. Because in jail, it's not like you could pick up the phone and call your attorney and say, this, that, this is what's happening. Can you please get me some help? I couldn't do that. you
0: went from having your own business and being at home with your two children. This must have felt like your entire life was falling apart.
1: I couldn't believe that this was really actually happening to women with children and I couldn't believe this is really happening in United States of America. I right. really couldn't believe that the deplorable conditions that we were in, how your rights are absolutely taken away you see things on tv and it make it seem like this is how it goes but behind the scene you don't know that this is not how it goes the court system is not set up like we see it the trial is not set up you able to just see your kids a lot of this is just not TV is for television. (laughs) It's really called television. Because in the court of law, none of this happens like a CSI or something put together. I've always
0: thought that law and order was the best representation of of Mm, the court system. Not at all.
1: And yet, the entire time, you could have paid... A bond. I could have.
0: But just not the one they said.
1: Not the one they said. I didn't know that the process that it takes for a bond reduction mm-hmm. in the state, you have to go to at least four court hearings to just get assigned a judge. It's a process. It's not like something you walk in there once your bond has been set. That is not the judge you're going to have on your case. You go back and forth until you assign a judge, until you're placed in the right courtroom, and that's at least four court cases. And Each session for your court is like a month and a half. It's never like you'll see someone within 30 days days. it's maybe a little bit longer. And you're
0: waiting in jail. And in the
1: process, you're waiting in jail for a bond reduction. For me, speaking for myself, at the time that I was waiting in jail for the process of getting a bond reduction, I still had to continue to pay bills. I had a Mm -hmm. company to run. I had children. I was going through a divorce, so I had two lawyers, not just my divorce lawyer. I also had... My uh, criminal, criminal lawyer. lawyer, right. So it was hard. The money that I had to set aside to have life off of, I end up having to use. And that money ran out yeah. to the point where when you do get to the point where it's, oh, you can have a bond reduction, you're you're yeah. out. County is not free. Yeah. So tell
0: me, how were you ultimately released from from Cook County Jail?
1: After um, like nine months, I finally got a bail reduction to where I could afford it. It was a lady that used to come to county. I can't say her name, Mm -hmm. but she used to volunteer on the women's floor at the county. She said, I know an organization that helps pay bond. She said, but... It's a long shot. That was how I was able to come up with the Chicago Community Bond Fund. The only information at that time I could give to my um, sister and say, look, there's this organization. I'm not really sure. I've never heard of them. She was like, do you really think they exist? I'm like, I don't know. I said, it's a long shot. I've never heard anybody just paying people bond, and it's no stipulations. So I said, look, I have nothing else. I said, I got a letter from my attorney saying that they were going to have a hearing and my kids was going to be taken away. So this is all I have. I said, I can't fight for them being incarcerated in jail. So my sister contacted the Chicago Community Bond Fund. Once they had decided that they were going to take the case, I was asking for a bill reduction at that time. My bail reduction came like a little before I had contacted them. And it was at 95000 which was 905, uh, nine hundred and five 9500 to walk. That's how I was able to get out.
0: Well, LaVette, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing this. You certainly do make a compelling case for the need to reform um, this area. So thank you very much. Thank you. Joining us now is Charlene Grace. Charlene serves as the executive director of the Chicago Community Bond Fund, which has been working uh, to help people and to work on reforming bond and bail reform across Illinois. Charlene, welcome to Talking Liberties.
2: Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. So
0: let's do a little term definition at the, at the beginning here. We hear the terms bail and bond. What do those mean?
2: Sure. So in Illinois, they're generally used interchangeably. Um, In other states, they may actually have distinct meanings, but here we sort of use bail and bond to mean the same thing. And it's basically the process for how we treat people between the time when someone is arrested and when their case ends, whether that's because it's thrown out or there's a conviction or um, they're found not guilty at trial or any other kind of resolution. And... In general, the thing that most people think of when we talk about bail or bond is money. So money bail, a requirement that someone pay a certain amount of money. And if they can't pay that money, then they're incarcerated in a jail. But there are all kinds of conditions. That's just the most common one.
0: So broadly speaking, how does that system work? Like a judge imposes a bail or a bond requirement and maybe other requirements on someone? Is that the way it generally works?
2: So really what practitioners and advocates for reform are always trying to emphasize is that bail is really the process of release. Okay. And so sometimes we talk about who's bailable. And under the U.S. Constitution, the Illinois Constitution, Illinois law, Um, the vast majority of people are going to be released pre-trial, so they're going to be bailable. And that's what is required by our system. That's what we all want. That's what the presumption of innocence is supposed to mean. It means that there is supposed to be a very high bar before someone's freedom is taken away when they haven't been convicted of anything. And that fits into uh, money bail, and that money bail is a release decision. Mm -hmm. Um, It is a decision of a judge that someone can be free and can be released to the community pending trial, but for a certain amount of money.
0: And what goes into that decision for a judge? Like, what are the elements that they're either supposed to consider, what ends up being considered? You know, as you look across the system, like, what's that look like?
2: Yeah. uh, The two most common things that judges are focused on is someone coming back to court um, and not being rearrested in the interim. And, of course... Uh bond decisions might relate to the specific charge or the underlying facts, whatever's relayed by a prosecutor, whatever mitigating information a defense attorney is able to offer. In Illinois law, there's actually thirty-seven things statutorily that a judge is supposed to consider.
0: I won't ask you to list them all. <laughs>
2: um, and it's important for us too to understand that the things that we might be most worried about, uh, someone coming back to court or someone being rearrested on, not just anything, but something we might care about, something that might raise safety concerns for someone. Those are both relatively rare incidents. Um, The vast majority of people come back to court. um, And people who don't come back to court, by and large, they're not fleeing prosecution, which is what we would really be concerned about. That's what the idea of bail is concerned about, someone who Leaves the jurisdiction, leaves the country, um, and is no longer under the court's jurisdiction. Most people who miss court today, unfortunately, they're the communities that are most targeted by criminalization. Often, rarely leave their neighborhoods. Right, right. they're not fleeing, um, but they do have barriers to success pre-trial. So they may have chaotic lives that make it hard to remember court dates, or inadequate access to transportation, or childcare, or be making a choice between going to work and going to court. So. What we know is that if we want people to come back to court, we should uh, try to meet those needs that, that keep people from coming back to court.
0: And none of those needs that you're describing, right, if I have a chaotic life, if I uh, it's difficult for me to keep a schedule or things of that nature, necessarily present any kind of public safety risk.
2: Right. And the reality is that almost no one released pretrial will be rearrested on a new offense that is considered violent. Um, so of the 30,000 people who've been released pre-trial in Cook County since reforms went into effect in the fall of 2017, just about one half of 1% of people have been rearrested on new offenses that are considered violent.
0: So let, let me, I, I, I need to stop you to go back to that, that stat. So of 30,000 people arrested Less than one half of 1%? Was that? It's
2: about half of 1%. It's 0.6 of 1%. Okay, sure.
0: sure. So about half of 1% are rearrested for some sort of crime, which might affect public safety and those issues. So it's a very small really microscopic number of people.
2: Exactly. But meanwhile, we're scanning all the 30,000 people, right? When it it looms large in the public imagination, it looms large in the imagination of judges. But the reality is just that most people should be released. They must be released under the system of law that we have. Um, And that when we do release people, they'll succeed.
0: Right. So let me ask a question I, I think that's been on my mind for a bit, How is, just as a generic question, like, how is the amount of bail determined? Is it determined by how much I have to pay? We heard LeVette talk about being asked that question up front. How how is that number actually arrived at?
2: That's a good question. Uh, So the general perception is that the more serious the charge someone has, the higher amount of the bond that they should have, and uh, that is a reality in many places because over the last several decades, as mass incarceration has arisen, there has been a way that money bail has come to be conflated with public safety. But mm-hmm. that's not actually um, its purpose. It's really supposed to be about return to court. court. It's not effective in ensuring that people return to court either, but it certainly has no relationship to public safety. So the the charge in that case should not matter very much. Um, what should matter in Illinois or in Cook County now is how much someone can afford to pay. And, you know, Lavette's bond hearing in, I think, 2015 was when she had that hearing. That was an unusual situation. And I think that's because she had a private attorney that the attorney asked her how much she could afford to put up. It right. wasn't a practice, a common okay. practice in Cook County at that okay. point. Um, it is a common practice now, though, under reforms that went into effect in the fall of 2017, that if a judge is going to set... A money bond. It should be in an amount that the person can afford to pay. And that is to facilitate money bond as a release decision. So instead of the majority of people in bond court being given monetary bails, and then after that, the only sorting that happens is who has access to money, and who the doesn't. people who do get out, the people who don't stay in jail for weeks, months, sometimes years. And so uh, the reforms that went into effect in 2017 were to cure this deep unfairness um, and the constitutional problems with um, a system that arbitrarily takes away people's liberty while they're presumed innocent um, because they lack a certain amount of money and denies people due process because there wasn't a—there was no one saying, we're detaining you. It was just— uh, de facto jailing after you couldn't pay the certain amount of money.
0: I think another question I always wonder about is, is my bond likely to be the same if I live in Cook County than if I'm in Rock Island County or in Champaign County or in Iroquois County where I grew up? Is that Does location make a difference?
2: You know, um, we don't have good stats on that, so okay. I can't give you good data, but the answer is absolutely yes. And we know that in part because we know that uh, bond amounts vary so highly, even across judges within the same county. Um, so so
0: it could be the luck of the draw, just on who's exactly.
2: Hearing. So, which day you're arrested and which day you're in court, which judge makes that decision, you will have you will see different outcomes. And of course, there's always going to be some variance across judges, but uh, we know that the variance is wider than it should be, both here and in other places where we have data. Um. Absolutely, the bond amounts are different in different counties in Illinois, and hopefully at some point in the future, we'll be able to get some information in a more systematic way so that we can make those comparisons less anecdotally and more uh, comprehensively.
0: Another question that comes to my mind, I think, uh, and again, whether there's, there's actual data or it's just anecdotal, levette's story you know is is really troubling just because of the length of time she ended up in you know detained uh, simply because she couldn't pay that that bond I, I it's just you know the thought of being away from one's children and one's life in, in in that way for that length of time is just incredible do we know whether in cook county or across the state of illinois Do we know how many people are in similar circumstances and detained simply because they cannot afford whatever their bond is?
2: Sure. So we know that uh, every year in Illinois, around 250,000 people are admitted to the state's 92 jails. And the overwhelming majority of them are pretrial. And the majority are there because they can't afford to pay a money bond. And unfortunately, again, Because the courts are not subject to FOIA and we don't have another way to access that information. We can't give you the exact number, but we know that that is the majority of people. And that's true across the country.
0: Right, right. Um, One of the other things, when we look at the flaws of our criminal justice system, one of the realities is that those flaws tend to land more heavily on people of color. Is it the same thing in the cash bond system?
2: It is. Um, and part of that is because people enter this part of the criminal justice system through arrest. And we know that racial disparities and policing are probably the most extreme of any part of the criminal uh, justice system. And uh, also because we have judges who are humans making decisions and implicit bias plays a role. So studies who have looked at it have found that uh, black people in bail hearings are the least likely to released without having to pay money, and if given a money bond, are the least likely to be able to pay it because of historical uh, discrimination and access to wealth and uh, accumulation of wealth in communities of color, in black and brown communities in particular, and um, that plays out in who is locked up in Cook County Jail. There are about 25% of people in Cook County are African American and 73% of people in Cook County Jail are African American. So we absolutely see that. And uh, following reforms, what we also saw was that black people were the biggest beneficiaries of the reforms. So the number of people released without having to pay money after reforms went into effect increased 117 percent for black people who were accused uh, and only about 50-something percent for white people. So I think what we see is that that's um, the reforms and the efforts to release more people were addressing uh, Some bias of those and decision making, yeah, yes. yeah. So if
0: somebody's listening to this and they say to themselves, you know, these are people who are charged with crimes. Maybe they're serious crimes. What do you say to them in terms of how being detained pre-trial like this for an extended length of time, like how that affects their life going forward? How how would you describe that? How would you address that concern?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I can't compete with uh – Lavette's story yeah. as an example of all of the harms that we do. But one of the reasons why I'm really grateful to Lavette for speaking out and being part of this movement is because Lavette was charged with a serious crime, right? She was charged with aggravated battery. It's a class two felony in Illinois. It's considered a violent crime. And that didn't mean that that the name of that charge or the class of that charge explained the situation. It didn't mean that LeVette was a threat to other people and couldn't be released. And uh, it's really important that we get past just the names of charges or the class of charges and we provide people with individualized hearings because there must be a high standard before we— are locked up and our liberty is taken away Um, when we haven't been convicted of anything. That's what all the listeners would want. If we were accused of something, that's what I would want, certainly. Um, And I think we also need to recognize what our current system can accomplish and what it can't accomplish. So we know that when comparable people are jailed pre-trial, they are more likely to be rearrested in the future than people who are free. So we are actually creating more crime and more recidivism, exactly. Um, And that's because of everything that Lovett describes. So people who have jobs or have stable housing, they have positive, supportive uh, communities around them, those things are uh, weakened, if not destroyed, when we jail someone. And so people are going to be in a worse position when they get out of the jail than they were if we hadn't put them in there, um, and, and it's really important we understand people in jail are coming back to the community. Um, so 70% of people in Cook County Jail come straight back to the community, even if someone goes to prison from jail, almost everyone is coming back, and the question that we must ask ourselves if we want to have effective policy is, are people coming back in a better position or are they coming back in a worse position?
0: So the Illinois Supreme Court uh, has a commission that's looking at making some statewide reforms. What What is happening with that? What's, what is going on? What do you hope for?
2: Yes. So in December of 2017, the Illinois Supreme Court created this commission on pretrial practices. And they were given a two-year timeline. So in December of this year, they will be issuing a report with recommendations for reform. And uh, Chicago Community Bond Fund, the ACLU of Illinois, and a number of other organizations work together in the coalition to end money bond. Our coalition supports a proposed Supreme Court rule. We would like to see the commission recommend adoption of this rule. The rule doesn't uh, prevent judges from using money bond, uh, but it does prevent jailing based on unaffordable money bond. So it creates a higher standard for the relationship between how much someone can afford to pay, whether or not they actually pay it, um, and the use of money bond. And the longer term hope is that that would dramatically decrease its use and people who were detained would have uh, the robust, uh, transparent, and reviewable detention decisions that are required. And the vast majority of people would be released without having to pay money as they should be. And we have a rally on Monday, June 17th at 10:45 a.m. at the Thompson Center. Then at 11:30 we'll be headed over to the Blandick Building for a public hearing on this commission at which representatives of the coalition and the Chicago Community Bond Fund will be testifying. And we're also uh, assembling a statewide network and Il- the Illinois Network for Pretrial Justice will be having the first statewide gathering Of that network on Saturday, July 13th. Listeners, everyone who's interested in this issue is welcome to join us in Springfield. We'll be learning more um, because these are statewide issues. They impact people across the state of Illinois. Um, In fact, in some counties, the racial disparities of who is in jail are even worse than they are in Cook County. Um, And there are very organized communities who want to impact the change that is surely coming to their county as well.
0: When you look at the long term of this issue, are you hopeful for reform? Are you hopeful for change?
2: I am. Um, I am. I think that uh, money bail has been a great eye-opener. It's a great entry point for many people to learn about criminalization because it's so transparently unfair. It's just on its face. Everyone immediately understands why access to money shouldn't be able to play the role that it has played in our pretrial justice system. Um, We're also in a dangerous moment in the bail reform movement. Um, We've gained a lot of steam both locally and nationally over the last several years, and we're seeing pushback, right? We're seeing uh, narratives from law enforcement in particular saying that bond reform is bad, that bond reform undermines community safety when, in fact, what we know is that we are decreasing the number of people in Cook County Jail steadily over the last five years, and crime is also decreasing at the same time. In Chicago. So we're in a moment of opportunity, but um, it's absolutely important that people keep talking about this and learning more and committing ourselves to the path that we're on.
0: I think that's a great note to end on, Charlene. Thank you so much for coming in and uh, talking about this issue with us today.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Talking Liberties with the ACLU of Illinois. I'd like to thank our guests for today, Lavette Mays and Charlene Grace, for joining us and sharing their knowledge with us. You can learn more about the work to end cash bond in the state of Illinois, as well as information about the Coalition to End Money Bond at endmoneybond.org. And you can find out more about our work in this area by going to aclu-il.org slash end money bond. Talking Liberties is produced by Max Bever, executive producer Chris Olson. This episode was mixed by Philip von during Our executive director is Colleen Connell. Subscribe to this podcast and rate us. Please, we love your feedback. You can visit our website at aclu-il.org. And you can contact us directly at Talking Liberties, all one word, at aclu-il.org. Until next time, this is Talking Liberties with the ACLU of Illinois. We'll see you soon.